126 tells us, then God said, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness so they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the, over the cattle, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move on the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come together this morning for this time of worship. Lord, we're here to, to worship you, the creator of heaven and earth, and we celebrate that today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. It's a blessing to come together. We're glad that you're here to worship with us today as we lift up Christ together. Please make sure you fill out your connection card this morning for us. If, if uh, They're in the seats in front of you. And also, if you're online, we ask that you do the same thing. Well, this time, we're, go we're going to continue our other song service, and our praise team will lead us after we have our three-minute greeting time. <laughs> say, somebody, say something to someone you haven't seen this morning.
what joy shall fill my heart then i shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim oh god how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art Appreciated the special this morning. That was awesome. Well, today we're in week two of Core 52. If you missed last week, I would highly recommend that you go back and at least listen to one of the messages so that you are not behind. Well, I hate to say behind, but so that you don't miss anything because all the messages kind of stand along, uh, can stand on their own. But today we're going to our second in this series, and we're going to deal with one of the probably most crucial questions in life. And that question is, who am I? How would you answer that question? Where would you start? Probably start with your name. Sometimes we'd start with our occupation. There's different things. Maybe we define ourselves by something that we do. But how much is your, of your answer is about you as an individual? And how much of that answer is about the relationships that you form? In other words, would you say, yeah, I'm a husband or a wife, a, a father or a mother? How will, you answer, how will you answer who am I? The way you answer it will spring forth from your worldview. This is why a Christian worldview is so important. Because most everything in life will spring forth in how you answer questions from your worldview. Now, science has tried to answer that question from the viewpoint that God doesn't exist. Their premise in the very beginning is there's no God. Everything just either existed eternally, which would make it God. Remember the uncaused first cause. Or they will say, well, we got here by accident for no particular reason. To me, that defies logic. As a matter of fact, this has been a little bit a while back, but on July 7th in 2012, a prominent group of scientists released the Cambridge Declaration on Consciousness. Man, that sounds sophisticated, doesn't it? But basically, it states that human beings are not unique in any ways that matter. In other words, there's nothing special about humans. Humanity no longer occupies a special place in the natural order of things. Because think about it, if we weren't created, we're just nothing more than anything else. Matter of fact, Ingrid Newkirk, who was one of the founders of PETA, once declared that a rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. There is no difference. Okay, with a boy, uh, maybe, maybe. Um, many scientists and philosophers are skeptical whether human life has any 
special meaning or any, any, any intrinsic value. And the way this plays itself out in our society is what do we do with unwanted, if you will, unborn children? We flush them. What do we do with the elderly? It's starting to happen around the world. If, well, they're costing us too much money because we ha we're using public funds to take care of uh, Medicare, me uh, medical needs. We end their life. There's no intrinsic value to life any longer. MIT physicist Jeremy England argued that the purpose of human existence, get this, is to use energy in the universe. Okay, that's a sad commentary. We're just energy burners. I wonder why a teenager would take their life when things get tough in the midst of difficulties that most every teen faces. I wonder why anyone with that outlook that we just are here to burn energy would even want to live when things get difficult because this is all there is, and for them it's not going to get any better. Our society right now is entering a culture-wide identity crisis. We can't even define what a woman is anymore. I mean, it's ridiculous. We let people define whatever they want to define themselves as. That's a worldview issue. We have lost our source of identity. And what's happening is we're trying to replace it with things like pleasure, with power, environmentalism, which we should be environmentally sound, and identity politics, which is very popular today. If no one put us here, then we're not here for any sort of reason that's meaningful. Therefore, we're really nothing. If we're here by accident, an accident of nature, there's no good answer to who we are. Because once again, there's no purpose. But on the other hand, if we're here by choice, God created, instead of by chance, everything changes. The opening chapters of the Bible are an, 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 an unequivocal affirmation of the true identity of people. We are a creation of God. The overwhelming message of Genesis is that we're here by choice, not by chance. We're here because God put us here, and he wanted us here. Of all the life on the planet, humanity is exceptional. We hold a special place in the universe, and we're categorically and essentially different from all other species. As we're going through our Core 52 series, we're looking at 52 of the most important passages in Scripture, the mountaintop passages, if you will, that if you have an understanding of those, you'll have a grasp of about 80% of the Bible. These are important themes, important stories, and they're things that will help build your knowledge base as to, uh, and help form your worldview, actually, your Christian worldview. By understanding these verses in God's eternal word, we're trying to help everybody increase their knowledge of God's word, grow to spiritual maturity, and to increase our intimacy with God because intimacy depends on knowledge. The more you know someone, the closer you can get to them. Last week, we saw that creation shows us that God created us. And he must be to be able to do that, to speak us out of nothing all-powerful. And we have a purpose. And, we're, and we have a calling from God. This morning's more, more the, the core verse for this morning comes from Genesis 1.26. We're going to look at three truths from Genesis 1.26 from this account of a creation so that we will have a proper sense of identity and an understanding of the sanctity of human life. So if you have your Bibles, we're actually going to read Genesis uh, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 this morning. It says this. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image after our likeness. So they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over, the, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move on the earth. 
God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So the first thing we see about our creation is that you were created in God's image. Our memory verse states that God created humans in his image. Now, verse 27 punctuates the point when he says, when it states in verse 27 that he created humans in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. So we find that males and females are created in the image of God. So the first thing you need to understand is your identity, who am I, is found in God. But what does it mean? What does it mean that we're created in God's image? Well, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, makes it perfectly clear that we did not evolve from some other form of life. A primate did not become pregnant one day, as we talked about last week, and all of a sudden they birthed a human. It didn't happen. Last week we said when God created, each species was to reproduce after its own kind. So once again, that negates the view that stuff evolved from other stuff, that whales didn't become cows or cows didn't become whales, and the apes didn't become people. We reproduce after our own kind. As I said, cats have cats, dogs have dogs, sheep have sheep, etc., etc. Isn't it interesting that God saw fit to include this little tidbit in the creation account as he knew that people would try to push him out by saying, well, life came from some cosmic accident. But God made it clear each kind re uh, re reproduces after its own kind. Interesting enough in this passage God told said let us make humans in our image now some debate what the word us and our means some people say well he consulted with the angels and no no he didn't we're talking about God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit the perfect unity of the, of, of the Trinity which by the way that word is not in the Bible but we see it even when Jesus was baptized and the Father said here's my son who I'm well pleased with the, the sun rising up from, the, from being baptized and the spirit descending on him like a dove. So we see this throughout scripture. But God did not have a meeting with the angels because according to Psalm 148, they were created. We don't know when because scripture doesn't tell us, but they are not eternal beings. When we have kids, when we have children, our children look like us because they come from us. Your kids have your DNA. They have the DNA of the mother and they have the DNA of the father in every cell of their body. So if they dig somebody up thousands of years from now, I don't care how they identified, your DNA will tell you what you were. And we have that DNA from God. When we're created in the image of God, it probably doesn't mean that we look like him in the sense two arms, two legs, but it goes much deeper than that. See, when God created everything else, he never said it was created in his image. He didn't say when he created the dogs or you know, the animals, if you will, that they were in his image. He didn't say when he created the birds, they were in his image. Only mankind has that. How was Adam different from the rest of creation that was not created in the image of God? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, The Lord formed the man from the soil of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. One thing that we see here is God formed Adam. He didn't just speak him into existence. He fashioned him. He took the time. He, 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 he built him, basically. And then God breathed the breath of life into Adam to basically give him life. Our life comes directly from God. It says that when God breathed into Adam the breath of life, in the Hebrew, the word for spirit, which that's, is another word for breathe. In other words, it could just as easily read that God breathed into him the spirit of life. 
But we don't see this with the animal kingdom. What does it mean that we're created in the image of God? <laughs> there are many layers to the answer to that question. But the basic meaning is we have divine characteristics that God has that the rest of creation doesn't possess. I want to look at three of them because there are many. And some of these, and some of them you can debate. For instance, I'm not going to talk about the in intellect. Um, we have the ability to, to deal with complex problems. So do some animals, by the way. But they don't communicate to the rest of the world how to do it, too. But the first area we're going to look at is time. As humans, we broker in time. We look at our clocks, we look at our watches, we look at our cell phones, we set alarms to wake up. Our day is driven by time. We think, oh, it's about noon, it's time to eat. Oh, it's about five o'clock, or excuse me, four o'clock. Uh, that's when Golden Corral used to have the senior special. Uh, I miss that place. I love going there once in a while. I hate it they closed down. Um, but we're governed by time. We wake up at a certain time. We go to work at a certain time. We all, when, we, when you had jobs, you had hours for which you had to be there. We eat. We do everything. Our awareness of time does a couple things for us. It allows us to meditate on the past and plan for the future. Although God transcends time, God sees the past, present, and the future all together. But God works in time throughout Scripture. When the perfect time came, Jesus was born. And you see other things where God, we know he deals in time. He brokers in time. See, my cats, for instance, although I'd like to find them one, they don't wear watches. They do have an iPad, but they don't have phones. They don't have a concept of time. If they did, they probably wouldn't sleep 15 hours a day. They do get conditioned to know when it's time for the wet food to come out. They know that when mom and dad pull out the uh, little bench, it's time for squeezy treats, and they're all around it. We can condition them, but they don't have an awareness of time. I left the house this morning, and I'm going to go back this afternoon. They won't know, well, gosh, he's, where's, where's he been? He's been gone for X amount of hours. They just know I've been gone. I've seen videos of dogs, by the way. The dog's going crazy when the person leaves, steps out of the room, out the door and comes back in a minute later and the dog's like, oh, I haven't seen you in six months. Oh, this is great. You came back from Afghanistan or something. When I leave home, they're sad to see me go and they're happy to see me when I come back, but they don't broker in time. We are the, we are the only species that brokers in time. That's what God does. The second characteristic is beauty. No other animal creates art like we do. Now, spiders build very beautiful webs. Birds build nests. Beavers build dams. But when was the last time that you went to a beaver's dam and saw it painted? Or saw they've got some great artwork hanging, you know, they got Ricardo's paintings hanging up in their little beaver lair. No, it doesn't happen. Um, the animal kingdom does what it does because it's imprinted in them. Nobody teaches that spider how to build the nest. It just, the, the web, he knows how to do it. The beaver knows how to build the dam. I would venture to say that probably all of us in here have some art in our house some picture, something artistic. We, we get around it. We love music. Uh, birds don't really sing. They call. Whales don't sing. They call. In other words, we write music. We sing music that reaches our emotions. It's not pre-programmed programmed into us. The songs stir emotions when we hear them, when we sing them, when we play them. We notice the beauty of the opposite sex. Um, and God did a great job when he made you ladies, by the way. Um, took the best part of our rib, like I said, the one that goes here. I'm, 
So don't complain when your man's a little chunky here. It's your fault. But anyway, um, we're attracted to beauty. Now, I know in the animal kingdom, they're attracted to color. But I'm sure that the cat, when he's, the tomcat, when he's looking at all the females that are ready to go, doesn't say, man, you're prettier than this one. No, he's just ready to go. It's go time. Uh, As humans, we appreciate beauty. We also work hard to maintain that beauty, don't we? Particularly you ladies, man, you're on it. Even guys, you know, we try to dress nice. You know, my cats don't wake up and say, what are we going to wear this morning so we look good? No, they just got their fur. They're good to go. But we have that appreciation for beauty. Animals don't contemplate, they don't, the coyotes don't sit down out, in the, and I hear them howling at night sometimes, thinking, what a beautiful sunset it is in Arizona. Hey, guys, hey, Wiley, come here and check it out. <laughs> they don't have that appreciation for beauty. They do what's imprinted within them. Like I said, they don't decorate. They don't go to the store and say, we need stuff for our house. They don't say we need a new couch because I don't like the old one. They're just happy to have what they have. Birds make sounds, but they don't create new songs. You don't see the bird rock band jamming out and say, hey, we're going to sing this new song today, join us. We create for the sake of creating because God's creative. The third area is language. Now, the animal kingdom does, does communicate for survival's sake, but we communicate to express ideas to share thoughts, to go into a deeper level of contemplation and thinking. Language for us is a creative drive that we just can't get enough of. Some of you are more quiet than others, but we're always communicating not for survival, but for intellectual stimulation, for the sake of just sharing knowledge. The animal kingdom doesn't do that. Um, We're the pinnacle of creation because we're made in God's image. You're not an accident. You are here by choice, not by chance. Let's look at verse 26 again. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness so that they may rule, may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over all creatures that move on the earth. So the second observation we have from this passage is you are created for a God-given purpose. If we're here by accident, if we're here by some freak of nature, the gentleman from MIT is right. We're just here to burn energy because you're going to burn your energy and you're going to die and it's over. Then you're going to be compost. It's over. But when you're created, you have a purpose. The things that we use in life, somebody created them for a purpose. They didn't just create, say, hey, you know, here's a car, or or, here's a telephone. I don't know what we're going to do with it, but it's a telephone. When we create things, they have a purpose. Life is not meaningless. Life has great meaning. Life is not about coming from a monkey, burning energy, dying, and then your existence ends. God created you with a purpose. Part of that purpose is found in Genesis 1.28. Speaking of humanity, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every creature that moves on the ground. We are not some accident of nature that by chance made it to the top of the food chain. God created humanity for a purpose. We're not just taking up space. We're not just burning energy. We're here for a reason. 
Our purpose in part, part of the reason that God created us is, cont is, is contained in the word rule in verse 28. We have been given dominion over the natural world, at least on this planet. We, this world is our domain right now. God gave us this world as a gift, like an artist gives, is given a canvas and paints so he can do something beautiful with it. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the animals. God is talking about building civilization, making something out of this world. God never intended this world to, be, to remain the pristine, untouched garden. Oh, don't step there, I made that. He intended for us to, to use it, to take care of it, and to get the most we could out of it. I know a lot of folks have the philosophy today because honestly their worldview is we got here by accident, everything was here before us, and so they worship the planet to the point where, well, you can't use anything. You can't get any oil, you can't get any natural gas, you can't get any of this, you can't get any minerals, you can't do that. God gave us these things for a reason. Now, do we destroy the planet doing it? No, we need to do the best we can to make sure we do things in a good way that, that preserves the planet. But the fact of the matter is God didn't just create it you ever have been in a person's house, they have rooms in the house that nobody sits in? They're just there. No, don't, don't sit in there. Matter of fact, my, when we first got married, I bought a whole room full of furniture from one of my supervisors that had one of those rooms. I was so thankful because the furniture had some age, but it had never been touched. See, or if you, it used to be, I've seen people way back in the day, I don't think we do this anymore, they'd buy a couch and cover it with plastic. You want to sit on a plastic couch? Man, when it's hot, you stick to it. And if you sweat, it's gross. See, God didn't create the earth and put plastic on it and say, don't touch. There's that oil there, don't touch it. There's that natural resource, don't touch it. He didn't, give us, he didn't tell us to do that. He never intended it that way. God gave us a beautiful world, not just to enjoy, not to just look at it, but to build something with it, to use it for something. Genesis 2.15 tells us, Then the Lord God took man and placed him in the orchard in Eden, to care for it and maintain it. Even in the Garden of Eden, God didn't make it and say, oh, don't, now he did say don't touch that one tree, but he, 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 put him, he put Adam there to maintain it, to care for it. So we've always had this purpose. God created the world, and he wants us to create also. God, uh, animals make things, but they never make things other than that which they're imprinted within them. A spider doesn't build a beaver dam. A beaver doesn't build a spider's nest. A bird doesn't build a, you know, build, he, he doesn't do either one of those either. They don't make beautiful cities. They've never painted beautiful paintings like Starry Night. They haven't made medical advances. They haven't built cars. They haven't gone to the moon. Well, a monkey sort of went in space, but he didn't do that himself. <laughs> um, but they don't do any of those things. See, we're created in the image of God. And so we're given the task that reflects that image to others. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, for we're, for we're his creative work, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so that we might do them. God has a plan for your life. When you understand that your identity is found in him, then you find out, hey, then he's got something for me. Paul builds on this thought further in, in Galatians 2.20, where he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
So the life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so when Paul shares this passage, he says, my life purpose has changed because I know where my identity comes. His identity no longer came from Judaism. It came from Jesus Christ. And he realized that his life wasn't about the self-righteousness of the Pharisee life that he lived, but it was instead about reflecting the life that Jesus gave him. And so part of our purpose, part of God's plan for us is that we live our lives for him to reflect him. Because if we realize that there's more to this life than just living, burning energy, and dying, we realize that other people that we love and that we care for, we don't want to see them die and be separated from their creator for eternity. You're part of something bigger than yourself when you understand who you, who you belong to, who you came from. And I know we have this thought in our mind, well, you know, I'm a good person, so I'm good to go. Well, what's a good person? Who defines it? Who defines that? Typically, I will. Well, I'm just on the right side of good. They do that in prison, too, by the way. They have different levels of who's good and who's bad. But I don't want to go to prison. Let's conclude our passage with looking at our Genesis 1, 26 and 27. I also want to follow it up with Genesis 2, 18. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness so they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creature that moves on the earth. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then verse 18, the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a companion. I will make a companion for him who corresponds to him. This third point is something we don't think a lot about, but it's so important. You were created for community. This is a vital aspect of our creation. When God created us, he said it was good. And then for a while, Adam's in the garden, he's naming the animals. And I think, sometimes I wonder, why didn't he create Eve, you know, pull Eve out of his side sooner? I don't think he wanted Adam and Eve fighting over animal names. I don't know. But um, God said, it is not good for Adam to be alone. So he made him a companion, Eve. God created us for community. We are communal creatures. Now I realize some people are more introverted than others, but we're communal. Notice that God said, let us create humans in our image. See, God is not alone. He's got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They live in community. He's communal. We need human relationships. When we're baptized into Jesus, we're not told, good luck, hope you make it out there on your own. Instead, God gave us a church family. Why? He gave it to us because we need one another. I hear people say, well, I can worship God on the golf course, and the only time I've ever heard God on the golf course is when a shot goes awry. Um, that's not what he's talking about. Or I said, well, I don't have to be a part of a church to worship God. Okay, then why did God give us a church? If we don't need it, why did he give it? It's because we need relationships. In Hebrews chapter 10, let us, excuse me, and let us take thought of how to spur one another on to love and good works, not abandoning our own meeting as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another even more because you see the day drawing near. See, on one level, we hear, accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, the word personal. 
Okay, God gave us a church, though, because our faith is to be lived out in community. On one level, your faith is personal, but on a bigger level, your faith is not personal. It's very public. It's very communal. Why did God give us the church? He gave it to us so that we can experience Jesus together. He says in Hebrews that we're called to encourage one another. If I'm sitting at home in my PJs with my coffee, well, it would be my iced coffee, watching church habitually online. I'm not talking about when you're sick and so on. How am I going to encourage anyone? I guess I could send them a text. But see, God created us to be in community. We're not called to live out our faith alone. As I've said before, other than when you're sick or out of town, as a Christian, you should be worshiping with your church family wherever that may be. Otherwise, you're not living out your faith correctly because you've taken that word personal and made it selfish because you are not encouraging other people to love and good deeds when you are just sitting at home or you're just saying, well, I don't need God's church. I can just do it on my own. See, in the United States, we're very proud of the fact that we're called to be rugged individualists. In other words, we don't need help. We can do it on our own. But that in no sense is biblical. Now, for the United States, I get it, but the United States isn't God's kingdom, by the way, surprise to some people. Um, but what we're called, we are not called to be rugged individualists as Christians. We are called to live in community. Had the church been nothing more than watching TV or, on the com or, on the com or watching it on the computer when I first became a Christian, I'd have never gotten off the ground. You know Why? Because there were so many people that were instrumental in my growth. I was 20 years old when I accepted Christ. I had a period in my life where it was a train wreck. And what was great is before I came to Jesus, I was going to church with my wife for almost two years, watching. I told you this before, I just went there to hold her hand, she couldn't get away. And if she'd look bad, she yanked her hand away. So I kind of had her trapped. But as I sat there, I didn't give a rip about what was being said in the pulpit, particularly one preacher they had. I did not like the guy, he yelled at people. And I do not, I, I had yelling and screaming in my house, and I, I am so averse to that. I don't like that. The next guy came in, Morris, who was de rededicated his life to Christ in that building right over there when he was here in the 70s. Um, he, was, he came in as a, uh, a drill sergeant. I forgot what rank he retired at. But I respected him immediately because he served the military. I had a respect for him. And I listened. And I listened. But not only was I listening, I was watching because what I was raised in, I was used to doing whatever you wanted to do during the week, go to the priest and confess it on Sunday and go do it again on Monday. Now, that wasn't everybody's experience. That was just mine. And maybe other people didn't see it that way. That's how I did. I saw the hypocrisy, but I was watching people. And a lot of these people that were instrumental in my faith, they never knew it. Henry Campbell, one of our elders at church, he probably never knew how, how much, how important he was to my faith. Charlie Bardison, who I sat in those Sunday school classes with my wife and probably embarrassed the crud out of her when I'd open my mouth because I had no filter then, none. And I'd say whatever came to mind. I can't believe she didn't leave me over that before we even got married. But these people, Robert Gregory, I can just go down the list, Brian Snodgrass, all these people had a so important part of my life. If I'd have just sat at home and watched church on TV or on the computer or on my phone, which back then you couldn't, but anyway, if you could, I would have never seen these examples. I'd have just heard blah, 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 and never saw how to live it out. We are created for community. And we need, you know, you being here this morning, you don't know who you've encouraged. 
You don't know who you've encouraged. Just seeing the faithfulness of, of you folks who I keep attendance so that I remember everybody's name because I'm losing my mind. But the other thing is there's some people I can just, I don't even have to, I just mark it before I get here even because I know they're going to be here. And then if they're sick, then it's okay, I have to unmark them. But the faithfulness is amazing. We're created for community. <laughs> you are unique and you are loved in God's eyes. You are created in God's image for a purpose. You are created to be in community with other believers. You were created to spend eternity with God. But God loved you so much that he gives you that choice. There's nothing worse than being, you know, I always said when I was a kid I had a drug problem. My mom would drag me to church. I didn't want to go. God doesn't drag you into heaven. He wants you to want to go. And he loves you enough to give you that choice. And my hope is in your life that you understand where your identity comes from and what the implications of that are. Next week, we're going to move to lesson three, where it all starts to go awry. We're going to look at the fall. I hope that this past week, you spent your 15 minutes a day for five, you know, during the five days in the Core 52 book, and I hope you took time to memorize your scripture, because it's so important. Today, I will show another scripture memory verse during our announcements. My wife begged me to, no, she didn't beg me. She said, you all like those, so I'm probably going to keep showing them, but anyway. At this time, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. God created you to be with him. God created you, and he loves you. The world, I've said this before, is so hard on people, and they judge us so harshly. But God doesn't do that to you. I am thankful for that because for the stuff I did in my past, I didn't deserve anything good from God, but he loved me in spite of me. He loved me because who he is. And so this morning, if you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to confess him as your Lord, to repent to him for your sins. That means that repentance means I'm going to try to change my life. And the great thing about that is, is you don't have to do it alone because when you're baptized into him, he gives you the indwelling of the Spirit that will help you to do what you can't do on your own. If you need Jesus this morning, we invite you to come forward. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. And if you're struggling and you need some prayer, I'd be glad to pray with you, one of our elders, Roger Wood. But if you have a decision, we invite you to come forward this morning as we sing, We Are So Blessed. We are so
seated. special room in which we ate called the formal dining room. We didn't just gather around the kitchen table. We had a special place to entertain our guests. Not only that, we would put on a linen tablecloth. We would bring out the fine china. We would bring out the sterling silverware. We'll bring out the crystal glasses, the linen napkins, and a lovely centerpiece of flowers for the middle of the table. Each piece of the silverware had to be placed at just the right place, the correct position for each setting. 
Everything had to be just right for our special guests. And certainly, the menu had been specifically chosen. We wanted only the very best for our guests. You're probably saying, gee, we never did it like that before. <laughs> Neither did I. <laughs> it was done by some, though. That having been said, translate this whole scenario over to where we are right now, here about to take communion. We've been, we've been invited to dinner at the Lord's house. We are his special guests, and he has gone to great lengths to make sure our time together is important and we feel welcome. He has gone out of his way to be sure we are treated to only the very best that he has. This special room has been set aside. A table has been properly arranged. The menu has been specifically chosen. It is the most expensive menu he truly wants us to feel like we mean something here at his table in his house he has prepared the most costly meal he can make for us his broken body shed blood let's savor every bit of it as we partake and we are once again shown his love for us. An old hymn says, all things are ready. Come to the feast. Come, for the table now is spread. Ye famishing, ye weary, come, and thou shalt be richly fed. Hear the invitation. Come, whosoever will. Praise God for full salvation for whosoever will. Come and dine at the Lord's table with our host. Lord God in heaven, we thank you for this special time of being together at, in your house, at your table, with the meal that you have prepared so lovingly for us. Help us, Father, to be appreciative of what you have done and do for us each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.
you. Good morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Ken Martin, and I'm proud and humbled to represent the elders of First Christian Church this morning. We have the awesome pleasure and honor of ordaining a new elder and deacon this morning. So first of all, I would like to invite forward the current elders and deacons to participate. And first of all, we're going to ordain Dale Stetson as elder. There he is. <laughs> I knew he was coming. Jesus Christ is the Lord of his church, founded upon the conviction that he is the Son of God, redeemed by his blood, Nourished upon his word, upheld by his intercession and guidance, the church is his body, commissioned to do his will. Elders were named in each congregation and given oversight in spiritual matters. Paul speaks of this responsibility in his charge to the elders at the church of Ephesus. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. It's from Acts 20. We have come together today to set apart for service Dale Stetson as elder of First Christian Church. Sorry, I said it wrong. Dale, I charge you as an elder to guide yourself and flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer, to be a shepherd of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Be a friend and Christ-like example to all. By word and example, bear up God's people in their pain and weakness, celebrate their joys with them, hold in trust all sensitive matters confided to you, encourage all to strengthen the, I'm sorry, encourage all to persevere in God's promises. Be wise in counsel to those who need support, strengthen the ministers, Know your scriptures, which are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You are being set apart as an elder. The title means overseer and shepherd. Are you willing to accept this task and commit yourself to be a shepherd, a guardian, a leader, and an example for this family of believers? All right, so... I'm going to ask Roger to go ahead and um, pray. Over. Let's have a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've provided us men willing to step forward and help lead this congregation. We pray for Dale as uh, he comes on as a new elder, that you'll give him guidance, you'll give him understanding, you'll give him compassion, that he may be able to fulfill all of the tasks that uh, come before him. We just thank you again, Father, for the dedication of the men that come forward to serve you in this congregation. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Francisco Ramirez. 
we have the pleasure of ordaining Francisco as a new deacon with First Christian Church this morning. Many of you know that he's been very busy within the church already, and we're very happy about that. So deacons are to see to the physical matters of the church, that facilities are available and equipped, and that the property is well-maintained, that physical needs are met in service to God. From Acts chapter 6, we read, But select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. I charge you, Francisco, as deacon, to inspire faithful stewardship in this congregation. Remind us that from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. Teach us to be merciful. Prompt us to seize new opportunities to worship God with offerings of wealth, time, and ability. Therefore, ministers to the rich and poor alike, both within and outside the church, be compassionate to the needy, respect their need for dignity, hold in trust all sensitive matters confided to you, encourage with the words that create hope in their hearts and bring joy to their lives. Let your life be above reproach. Live as an example of Jesus Christ. Look to the interest of others. You are being set apart for the work of the deacon. The title means helper and servant, one who administers to needs. You may have been selected by the members of this congregation to serve Christ's church here at First Christian. Have you prayerfully considered and are you willing to serve Christ in this ministry? Will you perform your ministry so it brings glory to God and honor to Jesus Christ? Thank you. Dale, as a new elder, I'm going to ask you to pray over lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you for this man who has come forward to serve. We pray your blessing upon him. We pray your spirit would give him knowledge and wisdom beyond even his imagination, Lord. We thank you for his attitude of gratitude and look forward to serving with him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, so you know, you don't get off scot-free because it takes a congregation to support these men in their newly appointed mission. For the elder, Dale, do you the family of believers here at First Christian Church continue to hold the office of elder in honor as ministers of Christ Jesus, support in prayer, and provide encouragement in the continued work in God's kingdom. If so, please respond, we do. And for our new deacon, will you, the body of Christ here at First Christian Church, continue to lift up in prayer these servants chosen to serve here at First Christian. Will you support and encourage the work of these men as they serve you in the name of Christ Jesus? Thank you so much for this opportunity. We're thrilled to um, set aside two men to join our family, and we are so happy for this, this opportunity. We're thankful to have these men on board and thank everyone for their support. This time I want to show you quickly our memory verse video for the week. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, we're ready to memorize core verse number two. But before we do, it's a pretty short verse, let's review the three rules for memorization. Rule number one, repeat, repeat, repeat. Say it until you can't say it or hear it any other way. Number two, hands, feet. The more your hands are moving, the more your feet are moving, the more quickly you'll memorize the verse. And rule number three, 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 three. Three minutes to memorize one verse. Three days before you can say it without looking at it. And three weeks of repeating it every day for it to be permanently in your memory. So with that in mind, let's review last week's memory verse. See if you can still say it without looking at it. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1 verse 1. Again, we're going to say the reference and then say it at the end again, just to embed it in our minds. The more you can locate, even if it's just the chapter you remember, the more easily you're going to be able to find and use these verses for your own spiritual growth. Okay, we're ready for core verse number two. This is Genesis 1, verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26. Again, another really short, pretty easy verse to memorize. Then God said, and notice the hand motion, pointing up to God and then speaking out. Then God said, then God said, then God said, then God said, let us, and I'm going to look to the left and right, like a Holy Spirit on the left, Jesus is on the right hand of God, so let us make man, and just, you know, just a little fist together, I don't know, pounding something into a lump of clay or something. Let us make man in our image. I'm just going to kind of circle my face. This is my image. Our image. So let's put that all together. Then God said, 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 let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. I know it feels silly, but trust me, it will make it permanent. Let's put it all together. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. One more time. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Well done. Those are on our website, also on the Core 52 page, or if you signed up for Core 52 stuff, you'll get stuff emailed to you. Uh, as far as our announcements this week, we have Young at Heart on Monday. The office will also be closed Monday for Martin Luther King uh, Day. Jerry has all of his groups tonight. Roger's group is not meeting tonight. Uh, Lori's group starts this week, and uh, Al's group is also meeting. We'll have prime time Friday at the Olive Garden. So please make sure you sign up, either online or on the sheet in the back by Tuesday. Uh, evening. Men's ministry, we're having a gathering at 12 p.m. If you're a man, a male, you are invited. So we're going to, it's in the bulletin. <laughs> Saturday at noon, Saturday at noon in the annex building, we're going to have, a, a, we're going to start developing a really awesome men's ministry. Um, let me think, I think it's, everything else is in the is bulletin. There is going to be a Singspiration at Whetstone on the 28th of January, if you can make that. 
I believe that's all the announcements we have today. So in the back of your bulletin, you have prayer concerns and prayers to celebrate. So please uh, be thankful. We got a praise from uh, the acting president of Boise, Scott. He said, we're very grateful for your support in this vital work and pray that you have a happy new year. So we were, the mission ministry team was able to send them $10,400 to help them uh, get through a little bit of a tough time right now. So we were thankful for it. And that's because of your generosity that we could do that. Okay, at this time, let's stand together. And I'll give you a moment to lift your hearts to the Lord, and then I'll close this in prayer. Let's pray.